I don't know what it's like for you, but when I sing that line, Jesus, you saved my soul, that's powerful, isn't it? I'm just grateful today that he did uh, save uh, my soul, um, and I'm redeemed and justified and sanctified, and I have hope not only in this world, but uh, life after death, and uh, grateful that you came out today and worshiped here at Grace, and uh, I'm sure this is true of all the pastors and staff and elders that are here We're grateful that you do choose to come to Grace Community, and uh, we pray for you regularly. And uh, thanks for coming out and worshiping today and giving your best to a God who loves you a lot. And uh, I'm excited about what God has to say today in his word. As we continue in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul saw a church that he loved dearly. I love Grace Community Church dearly, and I'm going to tell you that today. And so when I read these words, um, as Paul gave them to that first century church, and they were there, and he was trying to tell them things that could help them and make them be all that they could be in Christ. He really longed for them, and he insisted that that somehow they would take these truths and apply them to their lives. And and so today, he looks at this group that he loves and loved dearly and was very, very close to it. And anytime Paul wrote one of the churches that he visited, they could hardly wait to hear what he had to say. And it wasn't any different in this church here, the church of Ephesus. So he wrote, and he saw a lot of needs. He saw a lot of things that he was encouraged by. They, they were known for their love, the church at Ephesus. But he also saw an area that he was concerned with, and not only concerned, but he wanted to lift them up and encourage them. In. And he looked at the marriages across this church. And so a lot of our teaching that we have today in, in the local church comes from Paul looking at uh, the church that he was connected with and the churches he was connected with, and, he, and his words are lifted up. And Jesus had a lot to say about marriage too. But today, Paul is saying, this is what I desire. And if we do these things as husbands and wives, then we will truly come alive. And our our marriages will flourish. And so when he saw them, he knew that they needed this. I choose um, to, to give this to you today. Think back to the day that you were married to the person you're married to right now. For me, it was roughly 23 years ago. And there were vows that you committed 20 years ago, 30 years ago, one year ago, five years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, whatever it is, there were vows that you made on that day, a commitment that you said, I will follow through with these. And it might have went something along these lines. I choose you to be my wife or my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or poor in sickness and health, to love and to cherish for as long as we both shall live. You made that commitment. And while you were doing that, there was a ring ceremony that took place in the midst of this, most likely in your wedding ceremony. And you took this ring, and if you were the husband, you repeated some words, and you grabbed your soon-to-be wife, and you took her left hand, and you placed this ring on her finger, and you did the same as wives for your husbands. You placed the ring on his finger. And there was these words that went something like this. The minister of the gospel probably said, wear it always as a symbol of, the, of your love. So every time you look at your ring, it's supposed to be a symbol, a reminder of vows that you have made. Do something for me, if possible, that you don't have to. If your person doesn't want to do this, it's fine. Or if your finger is swollen, you can't get your wedding band off. I understand that. But take your wedding band if you're able to. And ladies, your engagement wing and, and your wedding band. And you don't have to take it off. Just It's okay. If you, but look at it. Take a look at this, this, this symbol. This symbol, this ring is a symbol of vows and commitments that you've made. When you gave this ring or your wife gave this ring to you, she made a commitment to you and you made a commitment to her. And this ring is supposed to be a reminder of vows that you made. So every time you wake up and each morning you rise, a good practice has is to look at that ring and say, this is a reminder of vows. This is a symbol that I'm connected to her and God has made us one. And you can pray for that marriage. We have all kinds of symbols in our, in our homes. We have ribbons and awards and pictures and plates and chinaware and variety of things and rugs and things that people have given us. And you'll say, well, I visited there. I brought this back and I got this. And it's so easy for us to know the stories about all these things. And we, we, we plaster them on our walls. We put them in our china cabinets. Yet the very thing that's probably the most important decision outside of if you're married, outside of your salvation to Jesus Christ, is this commitment that you made to each other. 
You take the symbol everywhere you go. You don't take your china everywhere you go. You don't take your pictures everywhere you go. You take your ring. When's the last time you just stopped and looked and said, this is a reminder that I made some vows to someone that I love dearly. Seriously, when's the last time you said, this is the poster, mind reminder. And because of that, I'm going to follow through with this commitment. Let me just, a, a sidebar here. If you're a person today who is married, speaking to men, and for some reason you don't have a wedding band on, maybe you say, my wedding band doesn't fit me anymore. Go sell your flat screen and get a wedding band. I am serious about this. And it's like, you don't need to give another female any kind of opportunity that you might not be married. Not only is it a reminder that you're married to her, but it's telling everyone else in this world, I'm off limits. Keep it on your finger. I encourage you, today, talk to Ted Linker. He's playing the drums in the main. He will get you jewelry to put on your finger. And he will give you a good discount on that. So you have no excuse. He lives here. He's on this stage. Talk to him after the service. You must wear your wedding pants, guys. All this silly nonsense that it doesn't fit, it's too big or it's too small, and you know, it's, I, I'm afraid I'm going to cut my finger off. Cut your finger off. You need other people to know that you're married. Women, wives, am I right about that? You need to wear your wedding bands. It's a commitment symbol. So quit playing your silly games and say, I'm married and I'm going to be loud and proud about it. Enough said. If I see you and you don't have a wedding band on and you're married, you will hear it from me. (laughs) With this commitment came some major responsibilities and some incredible joys. Every guy sitting there like this right now just doesn't have a wedding band on his hand. (laughs) Praise Jesus, right hand today. (laughs) Let's just say this. You can't, you watch, watch them walk out today. See how many guys have a left hand in their pocket. Maybe they'll be in line talking to Ted, I don't know. Let's just say it this way. When you made this commitment to God, you made a commitment for life. And there are times, and all of us would attest to this, in your marriage journey where you're reminded of this commitment that you made, and you're so glad, you're so grateful. And it's like, wow, God just gives you these moments in time that you just sit and you say, thank you, Lord. And there's these reminders that come along the way. And obviously, as I was preparing for this message, this was fresh on my mind. This week, my wife and I, in the evening, one evening this week, we jumped on the Harley and we took a ride down to North Webster. And Anne says, hey, I'd like to take a ride. So, hey, let's take a ride. So we took a ride and we ended up at an ice cream shop in North Webster. Um, I don't even remember the name of the ice cream shop. I just know that Jessica Landis worked there. That's all I know. She, she comes to Grace. And so we both ordered a, 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 an ice cream float. She got a root beer float, and I got a Coke float. I haven't had a float in years. And as we sat there, I was reminded as I looked at my wife of, of this commitment, and, and I was reminded of so many things. They, they were just running through my mind. And as, we're, as we were riding away, these thoughts were circulating. As we, as we were reminiscing on where I built my first home and helped out and where I got a job when I was in college, we rode by the house. And it was just, we were reminiscing about some things. And, and when I saw her across the table, it's like, God said, Jim, this is what's true. And so I just jotted these things down. When I looked across the table while sipping on a root beer float, I looked at a helpmate who has been with me and walked through the birth of all of our children, the daily celebrations of all of our kids, the high school graduation of a son, 23 anniversaries in this coming August, 15 years of ministry, nine years of college, graduate school, and doctorate study. I was looking at the wife who has flown across the world to love on orphan kids, who's followed through with me through the darkness of the death of loved ones, who's witnessed the highs of answered prayer and the lows of sin's hold on people that we love dearly, who's tasted the joy of the Grand Canyon with me as as the rest of the family was standing on the cliffs and she anxiously waited for us, who has felt the warm sunshine of both, both coastal shores, who's cheered me from the second chair when others misquoted or mailed me a letter telling me how horrible I was as a pastor, who's laughed the night away while raccoons ate our camp food as we helplessly sat in a tent that was leaking rain, 
And watch me say, that's enough when he went for the Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Who's dug and planted crops in the ground in a garden in the backyard with me so I could relive a childhood passion. Who's walked into large rooms like this service today only because her husband was a keynote speaker. Who spiced up romance with fun, spontaneous interludes. Who tediously kept track of every financial record from Twizzlers to 30 6 rifles. Who smiled as I experienced the thrill of a bear kill and the rumble of a Harley in our garage. Who's run 4.6 billion miles to stay in shape. Who's traveled the Pennsylvania Turnpike four zillion times to visit family. Who has scraped food together and even stood in food lines so that our family could eat while in college and seminary who's made a home a place of refuge, spent her entire marriage interceding in prayer for us as a family, who's washed two freight liners of clothes, who's organized 757 van pools for kids' sports, who's chose not to eat garlic or eat ranch dressing because I can't stand the smell. (laughs) It's true. And who has never, not once, gave her affections or heart to another man. You see, that's commitment. And I am blessed. And when you have that kind of commitment from someone that you love dearly, and they love you back, it is so good to be in that kind of relationship. It just is. It's good to be in that kind of relationship. So as I stand here today, I'm not perfect, nor is my wife perfect. And and I have many more faults than she has. That's the truth. Yet, I am committed to her until death parts us. And she's committed to me until death parts us. And when I look at this ring, as you look at that ring to the person you're married to, it's supposed to remind you of, of a commitment and a vow that you made. I don't know how many years ago it was for you. But it's supposed to say, I'm gonna make this marriage flourish. Paul is going to give us some words today. I'm not pretending these are easy words. And probably for some of you, you've chosen not to make this part of your marriage for a very long time. And it's probably one of the primary reasons why your marriage isn't flourishing and why your marriage isn't Christ-centered and why your marriage is in trouble. So let's take a look today. We're going to begin with Paul says to women, wives, and what he says to men, husbands. Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. And we'll give you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. Bring it back with you next week so you don't have to ask for it next week. Don't be ashamed to carry your Bibles. If you pull into our parking lot at Grace, your visitor, you'll see we use the Word of God. We want you to own a Bible. This is a gift from us to you. But bring it back next week with you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's read verses 22 to 33. Would you stand with me, and we'll read it together. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. Let's read this together. Read it out loud with me. Ready? Read. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You may have a seat. Paul gives two things for a wife. We're going to look at one of them today. 
He also encourages at the end of this chapter, which we've touched on in other marriage messages, that a wife must respect her husband. And he uses the word must. Doesn't say whenever he deserves it. It says she must respect her husband. Like we must love one another unconditionally. But first Paul says this. And he lets us know that, that the core ingredient in a, in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, is submission. Submission is a core value for a healthy marriage. That word, for some reason, through the years, from the time it was first written, by the time it's gotten here 2,000 years later, the word submit connotes something evil. In fact, even when I say that word, something comes to mind in the past because this word doesn't wrap, you can't wrap your mind around this and you feel like I can't do that. Submission is a core value for a healthy marriage. I'm really surprised not hearing any amens out there. I mean, just, there we go. There we go. And it came from a man. <laughs> I'm surprised that there's not applause or cheers because if we do what God wants us to do, then there's blessing on the relationship. The Christian walk, God makes it as simple as possible. He says, this is what you do. And if you do this, this is what comes as a result of that. And if you don't do this, this is what comes as a result of it. This is a core ingredient when it comes to relationships. But the word submission is the primary call for wives. However, it's uncommon in our world. Women and men don't like to follow. We want to lead. It's easier to point out all the reasons why wives shouldn't follow their husbands because he's poor at this. And I gave him three days to lead when we were 19. He hasn't led since, so I gave up. It's like you give him a, a one chance at trying to lead. And so because you have this poor example, you don't think that somehow the Holy Spirit can continue to work in your man to, to form him and make him into the leader that Christ wants him to be. In this room and in the link are all kinds of stories of changed lives, men and women, because Christ came in and they sat and studied God's word. They had some accountability and mentoring and they're changing. Sanctification is a process. So is a marriage. It should progressively look more like Christ. And in doing so, it's less of us and more of Jesus. And Paul is saying, women, submit to your husbands. But it's, it's difficult. In fact, we love, women love to report on failed examples of their husbands. I'm not certain why, but it's not uncommon for women to point out all the faults regarding their husbands. It's no different for a wife, though, when you think about uh, it being uncommon in our world of, being, of submitting to someone. What might happen, seriously, what might happen if you not only said these words, but you followed through with them? If you went to your husband after the service today and said this, I want to be the best follower this world has ever seen. I want to add what I can and be the best helpmate you have ever had from the day we said I do. I want to support you as the head of this marriage. I want you to know that when I'm away from you, I will not speak disparagingly about you. I will be your greatest cheerleader. If women, wives, if you went to your husbands and said that after the service, first you'd pick him off, off the floor. And then he would be blown away. Here's what would happen. Not only would he be encouraged by that, but he would want to lead. When you believe in your man and he knows that you believe in him, it does something to him. But if he doesn't know that you believe in him and he doesn't know that you want to follow him, it squashes him down. And so you have this mixed bag of marriage. It's someone who wants to leave, but the wife doesn't want to follow. But when he hears those words that you will follow, all of a sudden this new man surfaces out. Someone say, well, I've tried and I've been trying for years and he just doesn't this. And listen, God's not finished with him yet. If we think the sanctification process stops on this Sunday, we're in trouble. It's a continuous journey to become more and more and more and more. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm glad God let that role for women. It's the way it's designed. God designed it that way. But he gives us great challenge too. And it's very challenging. We're gonna look at that. This is uncommon. Here is the problem, though. It truly is. Most women and wives believe that if you submit, your life will be miserable. Listen to me. That's not the case. 
in a godly relationship where a husband is sensitive to the spirit of God and he's leading. It just isn't. You know what? I want to pray right now. God, I pray for marriages in this room. I pray for marriages that are separated. I ask the Lord for a miracle to take place. God, there are some marriages that are on the rocks. There's separation. There's all kinds of problems that have taken place. Lord, I'm going to ask you to do some miracles. Lord, I know that you long to see marriages flourish and for them to be Christ-centered. I pray against anything Satan wants to do to disrupt and divide and destroy and kill relationships. Lord, I pray for ounces of hope today for people who are looking at marriage relationships. I pray, God, for miraculous interventions. I pray for Satan to be defeated. I pray, Lord, for new life to be breathed into marriages that are on the rocks. God, I also pray that you would intercede for those that are doing well. I pray that you'll take them to the next level. Jesus, I ask that those who attend this service and hear this message that are digging in today, I pray that you would bless them for taking steps. And Lord, I pray that you would move our marriages to places they've never been and that Grace Community Church would be known as a place where marriages not only survive, but thrive and where there's stories of miraculous reconciliation. Jesus, that's what you're good at it. And on behalf of the people here today, I pray, Lord, that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. With that being said, we have a mighty God. Sometimes we think it's all our responsibility. It's not our responsi- all our responsibility. God wants the best for us too. The problem is this. Many wives think that you'll be miserable if you submit to your husband. Yet if you always work for oneness in a marriage as God wants, everyone wins. By the way, a good reminder to husbands today. Don't be rule over and lord over and be a chauvinist to your, to your wife. It's gently leading them and tenderly caring for them and pursuing them. And it's being the person out front. So that when your wife looks ahead, she always sees you there leading the way. By the way, for clarity's sake, wives, it says for wives to submit to husbands. It doesn't say for wives to submit to a men. Wives to husbands. Now, there are times in employer relationships you have to submit to authority, but it's wives submitting to husbands. The majority of women and wives that struggle with this doctrine are the ones that do not have a man that follows the heart of Jesus. So truth be known, guys, we have some work to do. When a man decides to lead and follow hard after God, everything changes in that relationship. That's the crux of this following principle. Most women have a genuine fear in this area because most men are mean, inconsiderate, harsh, and foolish. And because of that, most wives say, I can never trust a man. I can never follow him. And you shut down and you do not follow and you let fear rule your lives because you have a man who isn't leading. But I still believe that's possible for men to be sensitive to the spirit of God and to lead well. Ladies, live out of your faith, not out of your fear. God always honors faith. He longs for the husband to lead and for you to follow. In most marriages, or just put it this way, in most marriages where it's not working well, the woman has resumed the role of leading and the husband has acquiesced in letting her do it. Let me tell you, God will never bless that marriage. He just won't. It's not the way he's designed it. He's designed as the husband, as the head. Christ is the head of the family. Then the husband and the family, he makes the final decisions with all after taking her input in and his input in. Wives, you do not need to submit to something that leads you to sin too or breaks the laws of the government. You have God as authority. You have the laws of the land. You have your husband. If your husband is asking you to do something that's sinful, you don't have to do that. If your husband is asking you to do something that breaks the law, you do not have to do that. But you must be willing to submit to his leadership that's Christ-centered. Let me pause by saying this again. I'm sorry for all the husbands out there 
who fail to take the lead in your family and in your marriage. But you gotta believe that it's possible that he can. See, here's the problem. Most of us wake up and we remember all the things that our husbands have done in the past and we cannot see that it's possible for him to change. And so we revert back to where we're leading and nothing will change if you do not give him a chance again to lead. And when most women feel the need and take the reins, the marriage relationship can fall apart. Women also feel, and married women also feel, find it virtually impossible to believe that the Lord, who was raised from the dead himself, can handle her husband. Now, when you really think about that, we have an almighty God, and if your husband knows Christ, and the possibility exists that we think that somehow we can do a better job with him than God can do. What we've done, we not only usurped authority from him, you usurped it from God. And I can tell you, when you're not willing to submit to God and your husband, this relationship will go south. So you must be willing to say, okay, God, hands off. I'm going to pray like I've never prayed before that you change his heart. God, I believe with you it's possible. You start speaking words of truth instead of words of failure. And what happens is unbelievable out of that. Let me tell you, in in, in our marriage relationship, it's obvious that, that we have faults. And I don't always make the best decision. Do I want to? Absolutely, yes. And there are times in our relationship when Ann and I come together and we're saying, okay, and I look at her and I say, honey, what do you think we should do? And she asks me, what do you think we should do? And if we are on differing sides of this opinion, and if we get to the end of this, and it's like, I really believe we should do this. And she's saying, I really believe we should do this. When we're at that crossroad and we're not, not sure, and so I make the call, then I say, okay, then let's do this. If she's not in total agreement with me, she will submit to that in the moment. But when I'm leaving, she begins to pray, God, change his heart. God, change his heart. God, change his heart. So she takes it from her trying to manipulate it and control it, gives it to the God who can do all kinds of things to little Jimmy Brown. Zip, 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 boop. He can do whatever he wants. She gives it to him and submits to his authority. And so I'm driving away, and the Spirit of God is just pounding me upside the head, and I don't like it. Bam, bam. And then that moment that every man has been, and I've been there many times, it's like, stink, she's right. I just go back. You know, it's not easy. It's just, but here's what my wife knows. She knows sooner or later, little hard-headed, stubborn Jimmy Brown will listen to the Spirit of God. But she doesn't try to get it in that very moment. You know, it might be a day, and it might be three days, and maybe four days, because I never go longer than that. I mean, <laughs> you're right. Never. Whatever it is, she prays. And it's those moments I go back, and I say, honey, you, you were right I tell you, that's a win-win situation, by the way, guys, any way you look at it. She doesn't try to usurp that authority, take it from God. She says, all right, God, you're good at this. I'll submit to you here. Take little Jimmy. And he takes a little Jimmy. And he brings him back to Ann. That's the picture of taking when a situation isn't going the way you want, give it to a God who can knock some sense into your hubby. That's submission. That's the picture here. You see, part of the problem is this. Failure is a man's worst fear. And ladies, you must encourage your man with words in, in, in private and public. A lot of men are afraid to make mistakes. So they say, you do it. So failure is our, is our, worst, is our worst fear. And so if you have a wife that always points out your failures, what men do is stop, stop leading. Because, oh, she's just going to say, I didn't do it right. And why even try? Because everything I try to do, it doesn't satisfy her. And, and so you must pour words of encouragement into him. That means in your prayer circles, you don't condemn him. That means you praise him. That means on your Facebook status, you don't put things like, I wish he was doing this instead of that. You don't use that as a forum to cut down your man. You build him up. Every man wants to know that you think he's really something. He won't tell you that all the time, but he loves it when you think he's the man. And not only when he thinks that, he needs to hear that from you. And so ladies, speak it. Look at him, say, you rock, baby. 
tell him that. Speak those words. And all of a sudden, what happens to a man, it's like you inject something right into him. It's like, oh man, it's the stuff that wasn't there, and it goes in. It's like, whoo! It feels like he can conquer the world, and he says, let's go take the world, baby. So you pour that into him by submitting and honoring those with him with those words. I have seen men with great potential just dry up because of a nagging, complaining, gossiping wife. Listen to me, ladies. Don't let his failures of yesterday mess up a beautiful start to this day. Let yesterday be history. Build upon a new day. Don't drag yesterday into today and start off by saying, man, you were a failure yesterday. And some people start their days that way. It's like they wake up and they've had a good night's rest and they look over and say, know what you did yesterday? I mean, why start your day that way? Speak life into him. It's gonna be a new day. God's mercies are new every day for you. Why don't you say, I got some new mercies today for you and you need a bunch of it. That's the picture, starting it out. He needs words of strength. He needs to know that you believe in his leadership. And when you take the lead, you cut him off in the groins. You emasculate him. And if you do it enough, he becomes domesticated and tame and his wild heart dies. The church is loaded with these kinds of men. And by God's grace, we don't have tons of these men at Grace Community. But church overall in our world, and especially America today, is full of men with hearts who have, and, and, and leadership roles have been emasculated by women. Their hearts are beating, but they're not truly alive. I mean, just look at the stats in our world today. Way more women come to church than men do. Not always because of population of women. It's not the case at Grace Community, by the way, and we praise God for that. But across our world, a lot more women go than men. Because somewhere along the road, some wife chose to take the lead, chose to, to let him be pushed down. And so he doesn't show up. He finds other things to do. he much rather do this. Or he goes to a church that doesn't challenge him and call him out. And so you have this, this vicious cycle that takes place. The man gets drugged to church. And then he doesn't like it. And then you have these children that rise up. You have these boys that rise up. And if you're a wife, who has, who has taken and usurped authority, so you start dragging your sons because he's not bringing them to church. So you bring them to church and they come screaming and dragging and they set in the service and they're, they're bored to tears. And, and by the time they're 16 years old, you watch it, 16 to 17 year old boys, when they begin to get their drivers, they don't show up for youth group. And the only reason they come on Sunday mornings is because they have to sit with mom and dad. And mom brings them along. So mom pulls them along. If you left them on their own, they wouldn't come by themselves. And so by the time they get their driver's license, they leave. They move on and they don't come to church because mom can no longer drag them there. And they don't come back until they're 23 or 24 or 25. And you know why that is? Because they get married. And then the new wife drags them back to church. <laughs> it's a sad picture of what's happened in our world. And one of the primary reasons is this. Men aren't leading the way they should lead and wives aren't following the way they should follow. You've usurped authority and you've lost the blessing of God on their life. Ladies, you have been cursed from the beginning with this desire to rule over your husband. And I've heard this over and over. Well, I'm just a better leader than his. He's not a good leader. Listen to me. If you begin to speak that enough and he hears that enough, he's going to believe that and he's just going to say, hey, then just take it. But if you tell him, I believe in you, I'm going to let you lead and you acquiesce your leadership so that he can lead, but you give him input and you work together as helpmate. Listen to me. Things could happen and turn that relationship around. It's so difficult to open your heart up and allow him to lead because you fear you'll be hurt if you let him lead because three months ago on Saturday night, I let him try to lead and look what happened. And so you woke up this morning and it's like, he's just waking up. He had a good night's rest. And you say, you know what happened three months ago? Listen to me, God's mercies are new every morning and so should yours be to him. Every morning, mercies are new. Make him your hero, ladies. Allure him. 
Every man wants to be a gladiator. He wants an adventure to ride, a battle to win. He wants not only to lead the journey, he wants you as a major part of the journey. Show him you want him. Tell him you love him. Ask him to lead you. That's the picture of following well. You become his cheerleader. Paul doesn't stop there. Secondly, he says this to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loves the church. And I am convicted by that. Especially when I read a line that said, uh, here's how much Jesus loved the church. He gave his life so that you, your soul could be saved. Now, when you really think about it, compare, Christ showed his love, the full extent of his love. He went to death, a brutal death on the cross. And our example to follow is love our wives the way Christ loves the church. I'm very convicted by that. And I was convicted again this week because it drives me to my knees because I don't measure up. The goal is to be like Christ. We can never be exactly like him. But there's so many times that I fall short of the kind of love that Jesus gives me every day for my wife, Anne. I suspect it's probably the same for you too, the rest of the husbands in here. Love her like you love your own body, Paul says. How much effort did you put into making you look good today? How much time did you primp in front of the mirror. Some wives are saying you should have taken more time. How much time did you take care of yourself? What are you doing to make your body fit? What are you doing to keep your body the right nutrition? What are you doing to, to be able to make a difference in your job and workplace? Are you studying? Those are the kind of things Paul says, not only for you, but you pour into your wife. Love her the way you love yourself. In the same way, look at verse 28. Paul says this. Look at verse 28. He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. There's a principle in scripture that goes like this. Give and it shall be given unto you. And then you apply that to love. Love someone, and it will be given love back to you. If you want to be loved in this marriage relationship, Paul says throughout scripture and his other writings that ties in with this, we're supposed to love our wives. In order to be loved back, you got to give the love. You don't do it to get it back. You do it because it's what God wants you to do. Word of God also tells us this in John. We love God because he first loved whom? Us. We learn to love one another because God has given us an example. Men, your chance to show your wife and to give her an example of Christ is for you to love her unconditionally. And so the example is you love, you get love back. God loved us, gave us an example, we love back. We're able to love because of his love. Your wife is able to love because you love her. It's this beautiful cycle of chemistry. It's this beautiful cycle of obedience. It's this beautiful cycle of team and oneness. You love her, she loves you back. What kind of love is that? I mean, what kind of example does God give us? Love that forgives, love that builds up, love that's patient, love that doesn't hold grudges, love that gives all, love that has her interests in mind first, love that makes her shine Seriously, I go to Jesus as a comforter, as to get support, to get wisdom, as a model to live by. I wonder if our wives come to us for that. Does your wife come to you because she knows she'll get comfort? Does your wife come to you because she knows she'll get wisdom? Does your wife come to you because she'll know she get protection? Does your wife come to you because you're a model and you look like Jesus Christ? As the head and you're the scout out front, you are the example of Christ. And when she sees you, she sees someone who looks and models after Jesus. I wonder if our wives come to us as spiritual leaders too. Because look back at this. This is very convicting. Look back in verse 26. It says, verse 25, Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her what? What's the word? Holy, cleansing her by what? Washing with water through the what? You know what that means, guys? That means we study God's word. That means we dig in. 
It doesn't mean we open our Bibles up only on Sunday morning, but that's a great thing to open up your Bible on Sunday morning. That means throughout the week, you have a plan that you're going to dig in and study God's Word, where you're reading God's Word. And because you're reading God's Word, you wash her and make her holy and blameless, and you cover her because you've been instructed with God's Word in order how to love her and love God. You dig in. You shower her with God's Word. It's a beautiful picture. It's very convicting. Maybe the reason your marriage isn't working, one of the primary reasons is because you're not a student of God's Word. That's convicting, guys. That means you dig in, you memorize, you study. You're the scout. You're asking God for the the answers are out front. You're digging in. And by you digging in, you're washing her with water through the word of God. And so when she comes to you for advice, you know what? Well, I read that this week and, and I got this conclusion here. You're close to God. And when you're close to God, you're the kind of leader that God intended you to be. So how you doing? How much time do you spend digging in? Do you have a plan? I mean, we provide a plan in the bulletin. You go to the bulletin, you can read through the Bible in a year. It's a variety of verses. And you must say, I don't know where to start. Open up your bulletin. You can start today and you can get back here next year and you'll be through the Bible. Maybe it's just reading a proverb. There's 31 proverbs. You want a great way to read? Go to the, the, the proverb of the day. Whatever the day of the, of, the, of the month is, read that proverb for the day. Fill your mind with that. Wash her with, your, with, with the word of God. Men, we have great responsibility. And what has happened in the church overall is that men have fled and it's being led by women who are, who are just tired and beat up and they're hungry to grow, but they don't have a man to lead them. It's our chance to lead. Let's do it. That's the picture that's here. The husband is the initiator. He pursues her. He pursues God. He leads her. Single ladies, if you're in a dating relationship right now, don't marry a man that's not the initiator and putting God first. Don't marry a man that's not digging into God's word. Don't marry a man because he's a charmer. Don't marry a man because he can do something or he has money. Marry a man because he loves God. Because if he loves God, he will love you and God will bless that marriage. That's the picture that Paul is giving here. The husband is the initiator. Love her in a way that feeds her love language too. Jesus does that over and over and over for us. I want to talk a few minutes right now regarding this because I think it's so vitally important and some of you haven't had this information and some of you have had it and you've left it go by the wayside. God has placed great wisdom in people in our world who are Christ followers. And there are people who are way smarter than I am when it comes to understanding love. And there's a man that God's given great instruction to regarding love. And his name was Gary Chapman. And he came up with five love language that every human being has. Studied relationships for years. And he nailed it down to these five. Men, I'm going to ask you, to take some notes here. Ladies, I'm gonna encourage you to take some notes because it works both ways. But we are called to love our wives. And so there's five love languages. You gotta know what your wife's love language is if you want to make the marriage flourish. There are five languages. I'll read them off quickly and then I'll quickly define them. The first love language is this, physical touch. The second love language is Words of affirmation. Physical touch, words of affirmation. The third love language is gifts. Physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts. The fourth love language is acts of service. Physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service. The fifth love language, write these down, men, is quality time. Physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time. Your wife... And your husband, ladies, but I want to speak to the men because we are commanded and called to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Every one of you has a love tank in them. And so what happens in a marriage, here's what happens. The husband thinks he's loving his wife by doing one of these love languages. 
generally speaking, every man gives the love language to his wife that he receives as love. So if you're a words of affirmation guy, you give words of affirmation to your wife. You tell her, I love you, I love you, I love you. And so you walk through this process and it comes to a point where she says, she doesn't feel like, feel like you love her. And you say, I told you a thousand times I love you. And it isn't her love language. And so you've missed her love language. You fired these errors at her, these love errors, and they're missing her love tank. It's as if the gas that you're pouring into the tank doesn't even go into where it's supposed to. It just runs off the edge. So you must feed her her love language. So in any relationship, even with my children, I'll, I'll briefly talk about this. We've had our kids walk through this love language evaluation. Anne and I know what our children's love languages are. Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah all have a primary love language, and so do you. And so we try to feed that love language. So what I do for Josh is different than what I do for Hannah. And what I do for Hannah is different than what I do for Isaiah. I don't feed them all the same thing because they receive it differently. If you want to be a good parent, you must evaluate your children. And you want to be a good husband and wife, you must know what your wife and husband's love language is. Another clarifying thing before we unfold more. These love languages change with seasons. It might have started out this way. Then you have kids. Love language could change for your wife and husband. So it's a, it's a gradual change. So if you wonder what it is, look for what they are always asking out of you. Look for what lights them up. Be a good listener. So physical touch. Pretty simple one. If your wife's love language is physical touch, the timing of touches is critical. Sensitive touches. Caress her hair, rub her back, hold her hand, pat her on the shoulder. Show her, let your arm rub up against her, set close to her at ball games. Whatever it is, find a way to feed her language. Because if you're doing acts of service and she gives you this honeydew list and you're like, boy, I know she, she knows I'm, that I love her because she gave me this list and you never touch her for three days, she won't feel loved. And you're saying, well, I showed you I loved you. Look what I did. And she just says, didn't fill my tank. Words of affirmation. There's power in words. She says, if her love language is is words of affirmation, and she comes up to you and says something like this, I got to lose some weight. Your response shouldn't be, you're right, baby. <laughs> that will not feed her love language. Tell her something like, you know, you're so good at setting goals, I know you'll succeed in that. Be careful, little mouth, what you say if it's words of affirmation. Gifts. Let me speak a little about gifts. It's her love. See, most guys think, well, everyone wants roses. Everyone wants flowers. And I'll just send her flowers. And so you come to the first date with flowers and chocolates and candy. And if it's not her love language inside, she's saying, stink. But we just assume that they want flowers and gifts. Not every lady is a gift kind of. So you buy her jewelry. And when, you, when you're not around, she takes it down to pawn and pawns it and buys something else. If her language isn't gifts, don't feed her gifts. Find out what it is. By the way, it's not a gift when it's used to smooth an argument that you had yesterday. When you've done wrong, always, don't always give her flowers. That's not a gift. A gift is only a gift when it's a genuine expression of love, not to cover a past failure. Acts of service. Some, you'll hear some people say, I, guys, a variety of things here. If your wife is coming after you and it's not in a nagging way, she's asked you to do some things and you begin to see a pattern that when you do these things, it's a good evening. I mean, it's, this isn't difficult. It's rocket science here. Then you, guess what? Her love language is probably acts of service. So you pray and say, God, give me some acts of service because there's some great benefits at the end of this. It's not difficult, guys. It just isn't. I know we're dense, but listen to your wife. Even this week, as I was preparing for this, I, I took time. My wife doesn't know this, but I pray, God, help me feed my wife's love language. Help me do that, God. And I was sitting in my office, and it's like the Spirit of God said, 
And I did it. Boy, was it good that I did that. It fed her tank. I have to ask her later if she knows what it is. <laughs> quality time. It requires listening skills, guys. If your wife is quality time, it means you sit with her, you walk with her, you spend time with her. The average person waits 17 seconds before they quickly interrupt and say something. It means you shut your mouth and you open your ears and you listen. You don't give the answers to all her daily problems she had today. You don't fix it. You listen if she's a quality time. Do activities they enjoy. Show you're willing to do what they want. Even if it means listening to country music and pray afterwards. I don't know. <laughs> Find out what your love language is. Now listen, guys, I'm going to give you an assignment. You take the lead. Dr. Gary Chapman has a book called The Five Love Languages. You need to order it this week if you haven't taken the evaluation. It'll cost you $12.50. No, ladies, you don't write this down. You don't remind him. Guys, you take the lead. You order this book. You take the evaluation. She takes the evaluation. There's also books for children, love language of children. There's love languages for singles. There's love languages for teenagers. There's love languages for every individual. Our children have taken them. Ann and I have taken them. When I do pre-marriage counseling with couples, they take them. Make this a priority, lead. The husband must be the initiator. You must be the one to initiate the love. There's so much freedom to that statement too because guys, we're wired to lead. And when you do it the way Christ wants you to, there's benefit to that. In a world that's constantly trying to tear us apart with enticing desires by saying, you need this woman and that woman and you need something better. Listen to me, the marriage ring you have is a commitment to a vow that you made that I'm going to work at this and we're gonna not only make this work, but with God's help, this marriage is gonna be better than it's ever been. And listen to me, it is possible I've only been married for 23 years, but it's, it is possible to love the wife of your youth. It is. Don't believe the lies that you need to trade her in and you need to get an agent and, and that divorce is an option. Divorce is not an option to the person you're married to today. Love her, lead her. God help us today. There's a lot of good information here, Lord, and we could talk for hours more. But basically it comes down to this. Women must submit and follow their husbands and men, we must lead well. And we must be the initiators in loving our wives. God, I pray for this room today. I pray that we take the lead as men and lead well. And that we look at our rings regularly and we remember this vow that we've committed to our wife and that we would work hard at that. And I pray that wives would do the same and they would pour into their husbands. And I pray that we would feed our love tanks. Jesus, I ask that we would become a church that is Christ-centered and that marriages are Christ-centered. And in turn, we see marriages that just flat out flourish. Help us to lead God, our wives are longing for us to lead. In Jesus' name, amen.